This podcast is brought to you by Pop Spotting, a new podcast coming this summer covering pop culture and frankly anything Jen wants to talk about. Movies, music, television, books, plus interviews, trivia contests, and much more. Learn more at popspotting.net. Transmission, episode 86, February 28th, 2010. What? Jacob, where is he? He's kind of dead. Turns up whenever he wants, like Obi-Wan Kenobi. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And boy, have we had a strange it's day. It's been a really weird day. There's <laughs> nothing like being shaken out of bed at six in the morning by a siren and shopping at Costco at the break of dawn. That's right. But uh, fortunately, the good news is the island is not underwater. Not a heck of a lot actually happened. But certainly it was a very good uh, to see that we were prepared here in Honolulu. Yep. And we do want to thank Thank all of you who did check in and had expressed uh, concern and certainly support. Thank you. And of yes. course, now I think our attention should definitely turn to those who are directly impacted by this uh, natural disaster. Our brains are fried, but nonetheless, <laughs> we are here to talk once again about loss. Up next, we'll recap the fifth hour of season six. It's called Lighthouse, and we'll do it in under eight minutes. Then we'll hear your feedback on the episode in You All, Everybody. We'll hear another great song from the Others Lost Band. And finally, we're going to cover the last week of Lost Production in The Forward Cabin. And I'm going to make it a good one because our next two podcasts will be initial reactions only. I'm going to call them shortwave transmissions because unfortunately I'm going to be traveling. So for our next two podcasts, I do encourage you to come by the blog at whatyup.com slash lost to continue the conversation. So you ready? Let's get lost. Lighthouse was the 108th episode of Lost, yep. so I guess numerically significant, and we're going to recap it now, starting off the island. Jack goes to his apartment, and he notices a scar on his abdomen in the mirror. His mom calls, and they talk about Christian's missing body and the lack of a will. Jack asks his mom when he had his appendix out, and she says that he was about seven or eight. She says she's surprised that he doesn't remember. Jack realizes he's late for something and rushes out to pick up his son David at school. Hmm. Jack says he got cable so they can watch the Red Sox game and sees that David's reading the annotated Alice. He says he used to read Alice in Wonderland to him as a kid. But David says he's not interested in a conversation. He sees him once a month and just wants to get through it. Jack's mom calls back and Jack leaves to help her. Jack and his mom look around the office for Christian's will. He says that David's not very talkative and she suggests that it's because he's terrified of Jack. She finds the will and asks Jack if Christian ever mentioned a Claire Littleton. When Jack returns home, David is gone. He goes to David's mother's house, sneaks in with a key hidden under a rabbit, and goes to David's room. He listens to David's messages and discovers that his son has an audition for the Williams Conservatory. He rushes over and catches his son's performance. He bumps into Dogen there with his own son, and he tells Jack that David has a gift. Outside, Jack tells his son that he was great and that he didn't know he was still playing piano. David tells 
tells his dad that he was so into it, he didn't want to see him fail. Jack tells him that he felt the same way when he was a kid and that Christian told him that he didn't have what it takes. He says he doesn't ever want David to feel that way and that in his eyes, he can never fail. Jack says he just wants to be a part of David's life. On the island, beginning at the temple, Dogen is relieved to find that Jack hasn't left, but he knows that Sawyer, Kate, and Jin aren't coming back. Meanwhile, Jacob appears to Hurley again and says that someone is coming to the island and he needs Hurley and Jack to help them find it. Hurley tries to go on his own, but Jacob says Jack needs to go with him. Hurley goes to Jack, who refuses to join him, but Hurley says that Jacob said to tell him that you have what it takes. Jack says, let's go see Jacob. In the jungle, they find Kate, who says that Sawyer is now on his own and that she is looking for Claire. Jack and Hurley return to the caves, finding the skeletons and Christian's smashed coffin. Jack tells Hurley he found the caves because he was chasing the ghost of his dead father. He asks Hurley why he came back to the island, and Hurley says Jacob told him to. Jack says he came back because he was broken and thought that the island could fix him. They reach a cliff and discover a lighthouse. Jack kicks in the door, and they climb to the top. They find an ancient-looking rotating mirror, and Hurley says that Jacob wants them to turn it to 100 degrees. But Jack notices names written all the way around the bezel and sees Shepherd at number 23. He points the mirror at 23 degrees and sees his childhood home in the mirror. He freaks out, demanding to see Jacob. Jack wants to know why Jacob was watching him and what he wants. He smashes the mirror in frustration. Later, Jacob appears to Hurley, who says, mission unaccomplished. But Jacob says they will find the island some other way. Hurley realizes that Jacob wanted Jack to see the mirror and Jacob said he needed to see how important he was. Jacob tells Hurley that Jack is here because he has to do something. Hurley says Jacob has to tell him everything up front next time. Jacob said he couldn't risk them not coming to the lighthouse as they had to be as far away from the temple as possible. Someone bad is coming. Mm. Hurley says they need to warn their friends, but Jacob says it's too late. Meanwhile, in the jungle, Claire releases Jin from her trap. Jin tries to walk, but passes out. When he comes to in Claire's camp, he finds that she has dynamite and a creepy animal skeleton in a crib. Claire returns with Justin, saying he will tell her where they're hiding her son. She prepares to treat Jin's wounds, and Justin says she's going to kill them both. Jin asks how Claire knows the others have her son. She says both her father and her friend told her. She asks if Jin is still her friend, and he says yes. She says that they tortured her, but she escaped. After she stitches up Jin's leg, Claire grabs an axe and says that it's Justin's turn. Jin tries to stop her, saying that Kate took Aaron off the island. Claire kills Justin anyway, saying that he would have killed her. Jin says that he lied about Kate raising Aaron because he just wanted to save Justin's life. But the others, he says, do have your baby. He says he saw him at the temple, but she needs his help to get in. Claire says that she's glad that Jin was lying about Kate because if she was raising Aaron, she'd kill her. Locke shows up and Jin says John but Claire says no that's not John this is my friend and, and thud. thud and that was the fifth hour of season six of Lost titled Lighthouse we'll take a quick break to catch our breath and when we come back we'll share our thoughts on this episode So, episode five, Lighthouse, a Jack episode. How did you like it, Jen? It had a lot of really great moments, and it was actually 
a little scary. I mean, I think Claire is scarier than Rousseau ever was. Oh, creepy Claire, definitely uh, high on the, uh, just definitely disconcerting. I mean, um, for a character that was at some times kind of grating, at sometimes a little sweet and cutesy, this is certainly a very interesting turn for her. And as far as it being a Jack episode, I thought it was a, a pretty strong one. I mean, it's not Stranger in a Strange Land by a long shot. Off-Island Jack is a very different person than we've been used to. This is an entirely different guy. Well, I mean, I think things turn out differently for him. I do believe that we still see the Jack that we know that was on the plane, but for whatever reason, some of the decisions that he makes are a little different in terms of how he deals with his son. I think the Mm -hmm. key that we picked up for that was the answering machine message he left for his son before he got on the plane. I mean, that doesn't sound like something that the the old Jack would have done. So there was definitely something bigger or more different in his history besides just having a son. Um, But it had a lot of, uh, obviously throwbacks to White Rabbit, the Jack oh, episode from yeah, season one. Tons. And uh, even something nice back home, which was the season, I think, four episode where he right. had the uh, appendix and, and all of those references came mm-hmm. out. In fact, the first time that he was reading Aaron, um, uh, the Alice in Wonderland book. But a lot of mirrors, a lot of reflections taking place. Of course, also Alice in Wonderland references there. We had him off the island of look, looking in the mirror and seeing the scar, but they right. went right to him being on the island and seeing the reflection of himself in the Temple um, Lagoon. So I thought mm-hmm. that was kind of interesting that they they did it in two places. Well, let's break it down again to on the island, off the island. So yes, Claire is the new Rousseau. I mean, very literal here in the sense that she's wild, setting you know traps in the jungle and mm-hmm. looking desperately for her kid that she believes is taken by the others. On the other hand, though, I mean, I think despite the fact that Dogen tells Jack that you know she's been fully taken over by this darkness, the taking over Saeed, even if that's true, there's a little bit of uh, uh, Claire left in her. She recognizes Jin and she realizes that Jin and she used to have some kind of a friendly relationship. Right, you know, ever since you guys left me three years, I mean, clearly she's not doesn't necessarily have the best grasp of time, but, you know, there is something in her that is the old Claire, but th- obviously there's some nuts and bolts missing, The that, that really creepy skeleton in the crib. Yeah, you know, what was of- that? That reminded me of Blair Witch Project where that, that moment where the... Um, camera focuses on that object left by the tree and you don't really know what it is and you don't want to look at it too long. (laughs) Okay. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things that could be invoked by that. It was definitely disconcerting and obviously it was to uh, Jin and certainly finding dynamite and that's not a good thing you want around an unstable person either. Yeah. But so something's wrong because she does say that her dad told her that, you know, that the others have her baby and I think that if Mm -hmm. that was the rational Claire at all in there, she would know that, you know, that, that person would not be there on the island with her so right you know obviously there's something seriously wrong there as well so i noticed that she seemed to hear the conversation between Jin and justin when justin asks Jin to untie him. right she's outside and then when she comes yeah. in she says uh, she says i'm glad you didn't untie him um i i and he seems kind of surprised by that i'm not sure if that means that you know she just had, was was actually paying attention or if in fact they're trying to imply that I don't know, extrasensory perception or really superhuman hearing. I'm not sure. What I wanted to know is why did Jin blurt out, you know, the truth, although he says he was lying about Kate, to save Justin's life. I mean, Justin was just recently um, part of a, a couple of others who were looking like they were going to kill him, and he decides that he wants to save his life suddenly. Well, Jin probably thought it was a good idea to tell her um, before he, he, you know, she seemed to, you know, she had such an emotional reaction to finding out about Kate that Jin really, really realized, well, this was probably not a good idea to tell her. Oh, right. I mean, at first he's probably thinking, oh, you don't need to worry about Aaron. He's fine. He's being taken care of. But that that turns out to actually 
actually upset her more than anything else. But uh-huh. I can I can see that, and I think maybe that uh, Jin is just maybe a nice guy doesn't want or squeamish doesn't want to see a guy uh, hit with an axe, which of course comes around anyway. The other thing was, uh, did, when did Jin find out, know about what everything that had happened off the island? When did Jin get caught up on? Oh, okay, so uh, Kate did take Aaron and raise him for three years off the island. He's three oh. years old. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know. That's a really good point. How would he have known? Well, th- th- that has to go into the the basket of imaginary conversations that must have happened off camera where everybody caught everybody yeah. up on what's going on. The yeah. only reason why that's a little frustrating is that we see them have conversations and not get the information that they're supposed to get. So, yeah. I mean, that's just, I guess that's just the nature of uh, dramatic storytelling. Now, uh, she shows Jin, you know, when she got hit with the brand, basically the same thing that happened to Saeed you right. know, as part of the test. And clearly uh-huh. they're saying she also failed the test, but she escaped, whereas Saeed could not. Um, but it actually made me think about uh, Juliet's brand you know how she got marked oh, as right. well that's I mean, right do you think there's a parallel there it looks like a different shape and well you're right right I, I don't know. I didn't get the feeling that they were testing Juliet. I really no, felt no. like what they were doing to her was some kind of punishment or retribution. Right. Not, right. you know, I didn't feel like it was done in the same spirit as Juliet's brand. But certainly, I mean, the the whole concept of marking people, I think, has come up before. So, that, I mean, I don't know. That's how I kind of read that uh, that brief yeah. shot there. Now, remember during season four when they had the Oceanic Six and Kate had Aaron and right. she had that dream sequence where uh, suddenly in Aaron's bedroom was Claire or even creepy Claire. Oh, and, right. Uh, Don't you dare bring him back. Exactly. Yeah. So to some w- in some ways, that was a creepy Claire, like the creepy Claire we see on the island. But now I'm trying to wonder, you know, which side of the coin that vision was playing on, the the, the side of this this creepy Claire that's on the island who wants Aaron to come back? Probably not. But then why would a spirit or force off the island want or not want uh, t- uh, Kate to bring Aaron back to the island? Well, dreams can mean anything. Characters true, true. have, you know, all kinds of characters have had dream sequences with conflicting kind of information. Um, there's the theory that Claire was not referring to Aaron in the dream sequence, she was referring to Locke. That's right. That's which right. I actually kind of like. Right, and certainly bringing back Locke kind of set a lot of things into the into motion that we're seeing unfold now. So right. So that, that might that might actually be true. Now, do you think that when Claire eventually discovers the truth that uh, Kate did stash Aaron away on the mainland off the island, that Claire is going to kill Kate? That that's basically the confrontation they're building up for those. Two? I don't know. Sawyer said he was going to kill Jack, and that hasn't happened yet. Well, that's true. Well, I mean, I think Sawyer went back and said that he you know he just wants him to suffer I, I, it seems to me that Claire or creepy Claire is a little more resolved in that I do believe that the issue of you know he should not be raised by another and and Kate taking him and and all of that is such a huge plot point that it's not something that they're just going to gloss over there is going to be at least I don't know some kind of retribution for for Kate taking him I don't know really know what form that would take but I'm sure they're going to address it somehow. I mean I would agree that there's some kind of reckoning or some kind of showdown here. I mean Roger in DC actually left a message saying oh good let's let's kill Kate but I mean <laughs> I think that, that one thing that this episode does kind of set into motion is that Aaron is turning out to be you know very or more significant than one's thought right. which is kind of encouraging because we have other kids on the show that we're not sure what they're going to do anything with mm-hmm. so maybe without any Walt answers maybe there's going to be an Aaron uh, answer there. Now uh Claire also says something like, if there's one thing that's going to kill you around here, it's infection. <laughs> so I kind of like that. Yeah. Except again, you know, so like Rousseau, she's talking about infection and people being sick. But she, in this 
I would say it seems clear that Claire is infected, that she is sick. Right. Do you think? But you, now I'm wondering if Rousseau was sick too, because it, it seems that they're drawing the parallels so strongly that there might have been something wrong with Rousseau. Well, as well. I've I've maintained that. It was not Rousse- it was not Robert and the team that had the problem. It was Rousseau. I really believe that Robert and his team were in fear of Rousseau. That's why they were armed. And I think it had probably been brewing for some time before you know the showdown where where she finally shoots her husband. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of want to go back and revisit that whole confrontation because certainly Rousseau's team was very calm and at peace and saying, "You don't need to worry. It's you know, it's a security system. Everything's mm-hmm. fine." And that does sound more like you know Temple speak and the good guys and and for that to be in you know in opposition to what Rousseau was saying that would that would kind of point to that but yeah these new parallels between the two of them just get my mind spinning well let's go to the temple now Dogen starts off by telling Jack that you know I was sorry you'd left and you know Jack says I didn't you know are you saying that we had an option to leave yeah and I think that definitely goes back to the whole thing about you have to choose what happens you know we can we we can try to stop you we can urge you in a certain direction but really we want to say above all else is the choice or, or your own you know picking you can your check own out anytime you like but you can never leave well there you go <laughs> there you go that could be it um the, the what what kind of struck me about that and as, as we saw the episode start to unfold is that yes for example jack does choose to follow hurley to where jacob wants him to go but that's actually through deception you know basically uh-huh. jacob does get his these people to choose what he wants them to choose but it's not through you know anything any more complex than just lying to them oh so well, yeah I it's think that's he key. makes them think it's their idea when really it's his well not necessarily i mean he completely feeds uh hurley raw, false information to get jack to leave the temple i mean it's mm-hmm. to me it seems that like he admits in that final conversation that it was all basically a ruse to get them out of the temple and to get them to visit the lighthouse now uh, i also kind of noticed that this is the second time in lost that he gets a message from somebody from beyond that is apparently so complex or so important that he needs to write it down. Who's the first so, one? Well, Charlie makes him write it down so when Jack comes to visit him in the, the nut house, he has to pull it out of a drawer oh, and says... Oh, I didn't realize that he had written it down. That's and interesting. He actually says that, you know, that Charlie told me to write it down to make sure I get it right. Oh. So I don't know. Are they saying that Hurley is a, a lousy stenographer or can't keep, you know, has a bad memory? I'm not sure. But the poor guy is always kind of stuck in this position of being a medium, but now even has to take notes. He has to be the secretary for, the, <laughs> for these people as well i loved a lot of hurley's lines but i thought so it was so much of them that it, w- it was kind of too much almost. yeah i would agree i mean on one hand they were there were fantastic great pop culture references but on the other hand i just kind of felt like maybe you're the, the, the writers just are trying just a little too hard to be funny there but i mean i, I definitely enjoyed uh, we had uh, indiana jones reference star wars indiana jones and star wars in the same episode right and even says i just lied to a samurai uh-huh. which is you know kind of general cult pop culture uh, reference and actually uh, Dieter from spokane pointed out that uh, hiryukusen Nada, of course, did appear in movies where he was. In fact, in yeah, fact, the last, the last samurai. samurai. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so you know, definitely some fun lines there. Um, I think that uh, I agree with you that that kind of cleverness is good in small doses. Yeah. Know? Well, we also had other little throwbacks. I mean, certainly we had Shannon's inhaler pop up again. Yeah. How <laughs> random. I mean, I think all of us had completely forgotten about that. No, no. I mean, that was the Comic Con joke. That was yeah. her, that was Jorge Garcia standing up at the microphone and saying, "So what happened to the inhalers? What happened to the inhalers?" So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that certainly was, I think, just, again, the writers having a little fun and, and, and playing with us. Um, 
And what they're really trying to do, obviously, is make all of these ties to season one. They want to really kind of feed that sense that we're coming full circle or that our story is wrapping up. But right. I definitely think that it was it was it was a lot of exposition by Hurley that said, Remember when we were here before and now that we know we can time travel, that what if we had gone back to dinosaur time and this is actually us after we had done that? Mm-hmm. So uh, do you think that that's the explanation that they're going to stop with? I mean, I, what do you think? I that, hope what was not. The point of all of that? I'm hoping that, you know, Hurley, what Hurley said is just a hypothesis because I, I don't want them to go there. I, I think, I think dinosaur times is too much even for this show well they said when they found them that they were only what 30 or 40 years old so that's certainly not necessarily the case there um i think that they here's the thing we know that they have said that they're going to say that the skeletons were one of the key pieces of evidence about the overall arc of the story that they had in their minds since they first started writing it if we had if we had faith in that if we already were focused on that i kind of felt a little insulted in a way that they were going to basically shine a bright light on it and say remember this Uh we will come back to this later you know i mean again um i can see where certainly you're maybe trying to bring fans back in that might have drifted away and are trying to to explain a lot of this stuff but but exposition is something that i'm really really sensitive to this season yeah, i think yeah, in part because you know for for fans who have been following along the whole time and paying very close attention and taking copious amounts of notes uh, that kind of stuff can just seem a little bit cheesy did you notice the skeletons were together this time yes Yes, absolutely. Very interesting. When the skeletons first turn up in uh, House of the Rising Sun in season one, I mean, Jack is looking at one and tells somebody there's another one over there. Or, you know, basically they make it clear that these two skeletons are, are, are some distance apart, which is what kind of disproved a lot of theories that people had that they were a loving couple. You know, right. the man, they're both, there's a man and a woman, but uh, they're not together. So what does that mean? And now they're right next to each other. So do you think that they're saying that that physical distance that we all remarked upon in season one is actually not relevant? And this is what they intended all along, that this is going to be a couple of some kind? Or do you think that this is the mistake and that we should still continue to theorize about a male and female pair that are not, you know, basically tied together like that? I don't know. There could be any number of scenarios. I mean, they they could have been moved by somebody else later on. It, hmm. it could have been, I, I don't know, a mistake is is not something I'm willing to entertain because it's, it would seem like it's such a deliberate choice to have them apart. It seemed like something they put a lot of thought into and to have them presented together now, maybe they're trying to tell us something, maybe something has changed to put these skeletons together. I think Who that's knows? I think that's that's certainly an interesting way to look at it. I mean, certainly there was a big there's been jumping through time. There's been changes in the past, so that could be one, you know, maybe the fact that they moved is significant. I I, you know, I kind of lean toward the simpler solution. I mean, when they filmed those original cave scenes, that was a set built in the old Xerox building on That's Nimitz right. Highway, and here they have to recreate it uh, five years later on a soundstage. Mm-hmm. Even Jack's, you know, father's coffin wasn't right across from the skeletons in That's the original. Yeah. It just, it seems to be a much smaller cave all of a sudden. So I personally feel that now that we're in season six, they basically have a much better idea than they did in season one, what they wanted to tell us with those skeletons, what they wanted the reveal to be. And so here, if the skeletons are together, they're a male and female pair, and there's black and white stones. I mean, I mean, basically, I have to rejigger what my theories were on, on who they might Rose be. Rose and Bernard. Right. I mean, that was your, I mean, you yes. felt that from, from early on, especially once time travel came into play. I still think that the amount of time that elapsed is, is incorrect, but that's the simplest solution, and maybe that's going to be what they give us, because unfortunately, a lot of times, that is what Lost gives us. Yeah. Now, I should mention that Matt from Minnesota has a decent theory that it's Sun and Jin, that... Um, 
um, well, one, because we still are waiting for them to come together. So maybe that reunification is going to be significant if it yeah. happens. And more importantly, the fact that we first met the skeletons in, in House of the Rising Sun. It was yeah. a Sun Engine episode. Yeah. So I thought that Matt had a very good point there. But on the other hand, Katie and Austin agreed with us. I think that that whole conversation, again, just seemed a little heavy handed. Mm-hmm. Well, we should definitely move to the title, you know, prop of the episode, The Lighthouse. Uh-huh. What do you think about that reveal? I just I really enjoyed that that whole sequence just even even Jack smashing the mirrors I just I thought there was so much information given in in that whole sequence well I mean it was definitely a TiVo moment I mean just like the caves in the last uh, episode basically you've got lists of names and Mm -hmm. they're 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 assigned to numbers and they're significant and we're gonna have to go and study them Uh, now a lost PDA has a great page with them all broken down under under candidates if you really want to go and study them I mean Let's get first. First of all, how did we not see this 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 lighthouse before? Guess we weren't looking for it. I mean, that's a little strange that too. Was not really a satisfactory explanation, <laughs> but you know, I was willing to go with it when a you know a mysterious four-toed foot appeared on the island. So you know, you have to go with right. It. I mean, and we had a second island that nobody noticed until they showed it to us too. So yeah. I mean, well, you just got to go with the flow. But uh, definitely, that was a really great prop. The uh, manual, I guess, lighthouse there. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking back to the the prop master during the Hawaii National Film Festival talking about some of the props that he built and what his favorite ones were, but he can't tell us what they were. (laughs) This is probably it. (laughs) I think that that's definitely one that was on that list. So definitely a great prop, definitely a great sequence. Um, But yes, the the list of names, I'm presuming that it's essentially the same list of names that uh, the man in black showed Sawyer because Jack was number 23 on both. Right. But there are, there's at least one significant difference on this list. Yeah, Kate is, is on the wheel, but she's not on the wall. Right. Well, she's also a number that's not a special number she was number 51 on oh. the uh, on this bezel around the cool. lighthouse but 51 is not one of our numbers so Area on one 51. hand well, maybe she's that. an alien <laughs> I think that, you know, we had mentioned in our last podcast that in a way, the lack of Kate on the cave wall kind of makes her a free agent or a radical or something that might be a variable that somebody's not accounting for. Uh And that also seems to be borne out with this, that Kate is still there. Her name is not crossed out. But again, she's not a number that we've been paying any attention to. And perhaps the man in black has not been paying attention to. I mean, one thing is clear. It sounds like the cave, as we suspected, is the man in black's you know, realm. It's not uh-huh. Jacob's cave. Yeah. And what it looks like is that Jacob is doing all of these observations and messing with people from the lighthouse. And what we see on the wall in the cave is basically the man in black's attempts to untangle that. You know, it's his own Sudoku puzzle or his own, you know, crossword that he's trying to figure out what yeah, Jacob is up just to. Just his doodles. Right. <laughs> they were certainly not as neat as the writing on those. Although, you know, some of the names were written differently. Like Jack Shepard's name seemed like it was not as a newer name or a different set of uh, handwriting that wrote his name on that. So I, I'm oh, I that might be significant I didn't really too. have a chance to compare them, but that that's interesting. Yeah, like we said, definitely a, a TiVo scene. There was, of course, a lot of conversation about number 108. Right. You know, who's there? Well, the people who do the screenshots at Lostpedia tell us that the name on that list was Wallace. And of wow. course, there's another name that we've never heard and we don't know who it is. So... Maybe they're introducing another very important character that we're going to have to basically account for in this greater plot. On the other hand, they undermine all that when they have the conversation afterward, uh, Hurley and Jacob, Mm -hmm. and he says, 
and and Hurley realizes, oh, you didn't really want me to turn it to 108. You just wanted Jack to see his name on the list. So he realizes Uh how important he is. And even, you know, Jacob says it's not so much that somebody's coming to the island and I need to help you. I need to help them find it because they'll find their own way. So maybe they're saying that 108 was just a red herring. This is 108th episode. And so don't think too much more about it. Do you think that... That person, number 108, Wallace, is going to be significant or not? There are a lot of characters on the show that have aliases and double names. So I am willing to bet that Wallace is, in fact, somebody we've met. That'd be kind of interesting. Um, We definitely have some theories on that in uh, You All, Everybody coming up. Um, I think that, you know, because we've got a lot of characters that we don't know who their last names are, that could definitely be a key. I was thinking, what's Jacob's last name? I mean, you know, so it could be anybody, but uh, we'll discuss that in a bit. So the places that Jack saw in the mirror, I mean, as it swung past uh, Quan, whichever Quan that is, we Mm -hmm. saw the Byodoin Temple, a.k.a. uh, Mr. Pike's house. Right. And I thought that was kind of interesting because that is on Sun's side of the family not on Jin's side of the family, so I'm not yeah. sure if that was a hint as to which Quan we're talking about. But it's also the location where we saw Jacob visit them when mm-hmm. they got married, so maybe he was, he's been watching from the lighthouse and goes over there to to basically intercede in their life. The second location was uh, the church in Eva Beach, a.k.a. Sawyer's Church, where his parents' funeral was, right. and again, where we saw J- Jacob go and visit him. That third location we only see for the first time in this episode, which is Jack's childhood home. And he freaks out, and he says that... Uh, I can't, why has he been watching me all this time? Why has he been watching me since I was a kid? But that brings us back to that last name of Shepard. Yeah, I mean, well, maybe Jacob isn't watching Jack. Maybe he's been watching Christian. Right. I think that's basically the most obvious and tantalizing ambiguity that they're giving us. The Quan one way or another is fun for them to comment on, but I think the Shepard one is key. And actually, it might not even be Christian. If that was Christian's home, then maybe that was actually Ray's home yeah, as well. Yeah, they could have been watching Ray all this time. So uh, I I just kind of like that they've shown those two other locations where Jacob visited, but we did not see a location where um, where he visited Jack. So I think that's definitely key. But basically, we have this great treasure trove of clues and information that could be <laughs> derived from this fantastic prop that I'd love to spend much more time with. But no, Jack freaks out. and Jack smash! Yes, Jack just <laughs> pulls an incredible Hulk and loses all control and destroys it. So, I mean, that's certainly, I mean, but that's, like you said, I think that's lost. That's what they do. Well, Somebody has also, answers or a prop might make sense. So let's not pay any more attention to that. But it's also in character for Jack. Jack frequently flies off the handle and breaks crap. It's actually not really that surprising that he did that. Well, I mean, and and I personally felt that it fit with what we're seeing with him, definitely on the island versus off the island, for example. And basically someone in his position who blew up an atomic bomb and destroyed many, many lives to turn out to have been a wrong plan, a wrong destiny for him, Mm -hmm. for him to just suddenly come across uh, basically something that says, oh, but actually there's still something else going on here. Turns out you're still actually kind of important. That would basically blow my mind. I mean, I I, I would kind of make that, I would kind of have that same reaction. But the, the thing that stood out to a lot of people was, Hurley saw the numbers, and Hurley saw the names. Why doesn't Hurley, Mr. The Numbers Are Bad, I've Been Haunted My Whole Life by the Numbers, get freaked out by seeing those numbers? It well, just, yeah, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're not together, though. I mean, it probably necessarily doesn't necessarily register with him at that, at that point. I mean numbers are numbers when they're together like that they mean something i don't know well, i suppose but he you know there's the conversation about 108 and i think you know hurley might remember 108 minutes i mean oh, there's yeah. just so many opportunities for something to 
just go off in his head. And sure, Jack destroys the mirrors, but they seem to have some had some time to hang out there in the lighthouse. But instead, he has to go out and look at the ocean for a while. But anyway, you know, just just a little bit of nitpicking there. Now, one of the things that we pick up uh, from that scene on the cliff is that, you know, somebody is coming, you know, Jacob says, but they'll find some other way. They didn't need the lighthouse to find them, to find their way to the island. But who else could be coming to the island? Who else, Who is the next batch of, of Is it the next threat? Is it the next bad thing to come to the island? I don't know. There's always somebody coming. And maybe... Maybe it's paranoia that that feeds the island. Maybe, maybe it's the fear of other people coming that keeps everything going. Maybe well, there is th- nobody. In this case, though, Jacob it implies that he wants this person who's coming or these people who are coming to come. You know, I need there's someone's coming. I need your help to help them find us or find the island. So that's what I find fascinating. I mean, previously the arrivals to the island were perceived as threats. Here we have Jacob, or the essence of Jacob, basically saying that there are people coming to the island that we that. I I want to come that I look forward to or anticipate, you know, or wanting to help mm-hmm. them come. So I think that's certainly an interesting twist. And in fact, the most dangerous place on the island is the temple. Yeah. And that I can't really figure out either. So we've been hearing for over a season that the safest place to be on the island is the temple. When the freighter was coming, everybody get to the temple. It's been said even in this episode, we've got to get to the temple. If there's a place where your your husband's going to be, son, she's at the temple. But now the last place on earth you want to be is at the temple because some really bad thing is coming. Yeah. So how did the temple go from being a safe place to being a really horrible place, a dangerous place? It to seemed be? to be safe enough until they found out that Jacob was dead. That's true. That's true. That was the significant uh, twist there when they set off all the alarms. All right. All right. But I I did find that fascinating that this is a safe haven. Although it's also kind of curious that most of our losties have actually left the temple. And the only people left there are, I guess, Saeed, who the people at the temple are scared of, and Miles, who I certainly hope does not get into trouble. Uh, But people are on their way there as well. You know, Ilana, Ben, Son, and Frank are going to the temple. So... I don't know. I mean, they've basically got a revolving door on that temple, and it's a game of roulette to know who's going to be there when yeah. <laughs> when the stuff hits the fan. It's definitely going to be a point where things converge. Well, we talked a lot about what's going on on the island, but off the island, I thought, was a great you know segment of this episode. It was, a, I think, a good character uh, exploration there, but there were some you know mythology elements as well. I mean, the whole thing with Jack and the scar that he finds on his abdomen. You know, He presumes that it's his, uh, it was when his appendix was taken out, and he asks his mom about it, but he doesn't remember that. I mean, what did you make of that entire sequence there's a thing on this show about unreliability of memory you know there's like there were several examples like um in season two when kate and Locke first go in the hatch and we see desmond with the gun and you hear desmond talking but he says several different things depending on whose perspective you're looking at sort of the rashomon thing going on right i I love that they're pointing out again that your memories are not necessarily correct. Hmm. And and this is just another, you know, Jack is remembering another version of what might have happened. Well, but except, I, I kind of like that, except that in this case, it's not two different people, but it's the same person. And yeah. the perspective is different. I mean, obviously, the Jack we knew originally had an appendix until adulthood, and it had to be taken out on the island by Juliet. Mm-hmm. And um, now we have a Jack who, as a child, has an appendix out but doesn't remember it so I just basically like the way that they're playing with that because it's not just the mark on his
his neck now where you're thinking, oh, maybe he's remembering something that happened on the island. But now there's something that his mother remembers uh, happening when he was a child that he doesn't remember and, and certainly we don't remember happening mm-hmm. either. I find it fascinating that the Jack of the Present in 2004 or thereabouts in either universe does not have an appendix, but clearly the way that it was removed is different. So yeah. I mean, again, I just I, I really like what they're doing there and I'm wondering what you know the implications are as far as what the, the flash sideways mean that was definitely an important clue and jack having a son i, I mean great reveal and he's you know i think he's going to be an okay dad yeah i really didn't see that coming you know i thought that that jack's sideways world life would be somewhat similar to what we saw previously and to have him not only be a dad but be a pretty good dad was really nice. Or at least trying hard to be a good dad and kind of overcoming some of this uh, this this tension between him and his son despite the, only issue, the issues that he has with his own father. And there was a whole thing about Margot saying good for you when he refuses the drink. So, yeah. you know, you have a Jack who is also trying to kind of overcome his demons. So I, I, I basically liked that universe. And of course, the name David has come up so many more times oh, on this show. Oh, yeah. Let's see. Hurley's dad Hurley's imaginary friend, right. Libby's husband. He was also one of Sawyer's marks. Mm-hmm. Desmond's middle name is David. That's so true. that name has come up. And actually the name of the guy that Sawyer almost conned before he changed his mind because they had a kid, that uh, that guy's name was David as well. Yeah. So they just love that name on this show. Yeah. Um, one thing that uh, some Easter eggs, uh, uh, Murphy from Louisiana pointed out that one of the folders in uh, Christian's office wasn't it had a writing on it. It basically kind of looked like bad doctor writing, but it was uh-huh. actually Arabic, you know, kind of hieroglyphic looking writing but it was actually Arabic and according to Lostpedia it actually is the name Jacob on that I'm not sure if we were supposed to catch that or not and of course the key under the white rabbit definitely a fun clue there now one of the speaking of that house though the big question that we get from this flash sideways is who is David's mom who is this woman that's Juliet you think it's Juliet? It is absolutely Juliet. Did you see the kid's eyes? Well, I mean, the blue eyes, but Libby had blue eyes. We've had other characters with, with blue eyes on the show. I, I don't know. I thought he looked just like Juliet. Well, I mean, obviously, you can see that, I mean, wh- whoever it is would be somebody who can understand a doctor, a complex guy, but maybe not necessarily stand to live with that guy. And I think mm-hmm. that some of the chemistry that we saw with Jack and Juliet on the island, I think that could certainly work out. That would be my guess as well. But boy, Juliet missed his her own son's you know, audition? That doesn't sound like the Juliet that we know. Maybe her nephew was being born. Well, hmm, that's interesting. Why was she out of town? Oh, I love that. I love that. Now, <laughs> um, the speaking of the audition, we see Dogen show up. Our mysterious on-island samurai is now off the island and basically a dad in Los Angeles with a kid who's uh-huh. auditioning for the same school. What did you think about that? I, he reminded me of your dad. Okay. Well, that that could be one way to look at that scene. I mean, the way that it really stuck out to me is that the Dogen on the island was, I thought, somebody who might have been on the island since ancient samurai times, that he was one of the many people that landed on the island and became a part of it, but had been there for centuries, for example. and yeah. that, Or at least that he was a mythical and important person. But it looks like that however far back this you know split off happens for these different universes is that he's just a regular dude, that by some circumstance he did end up on the island but maybe he's basically just like Jack and when things are different he's you know in Los Angeles with a kid so I think in some ways they were kind of telling us that uh, Dogen is a little more mortal and a little more more normal than uh, I thought he was at least well we've certainly rambled on going long here so uh, before we close we normally do our books and music and locations the the book we had discussed was the annotated Alice Mm -hmm. and uh, arbitrary on our blog definitely recommends it says that it's basically like a DVD commentary track for a book so certainly something that you should check out but as 
as far as the music, we had the Chopin piece that uh, David was playing. Right. Daniel played it in the variable. Um, we saw him as a little kid playing it on the piano. So certainly a, a key musical piece for the show. And finally, for locations, well, the lighthouse was over at Makapu'u Lighthouse Trail. It's a very beautiful shoreline. On yeah, the we've Kaiji actually coastline. hiked that. It's a really nice hike. Absolutely. And of course, it's around where Dave jumped off. And there have been a lot of other you know, really important scenes filmed out in that area. But it was a beautiful set that they built. Only that first level was actually there and the rest was all composited in with computers. But I do have some pictures on my Flickr uh, page of just the base of it sitting out there. Beautiful, beautiful set. Um, Jack's childhood home is on Noella Place on Diamond Head. David's mom's place is on Malama Place in Manoa. Uh, the school where David was picked up, that uh, nice-looking um, school, was St. Louis School in Kaimuki. And mm-hmm. uh, the Williams Conservatory audition was at Central Middle School near downtown Honolulu. And I got to see them at most of these locations. So again, you can find pictures on my Flickr page, and you can also look them up on a new site that I built called lostlocations.com. So that's our two cents. When when we return, we'll hear from you all, everybody. This is John from North Carolina, and all i got to say is this is the best episode, hands down, this season so far. For starters, the Flash Sideways was brilliant. The whole character story in that Flash Sideways was really good, I think, compared to the last couple. Um, the on-island stuff was amazing. The Hurley and Jacob scenes were great. Holy, holy freaking crap, there's a lighthouse on the island, and they never saw it. That's insane. Anyway, great episode. No complaints. The only complaint I have is the Kate scene. felt very awkward, and that could have not been in there and would still been a great episode but anyway love the episode can't wait to hear what y'all think and i will talk to y'all later we kick things off again with our friend john from north carolina definitely a fan of this episode yeah i have to say that kate scene is really strange yeah well it was it just seemed like a token you know we've already stomped on all the skaters let's stomp on all the jaders <laughs> but uh, definitely awkward we now hear from trip deborah and katie hey jen and ryan it's trip from alabama and uh, that was another great episode the lighthouse is awesome I gotta say though, I'm not buying this uh, Jacob is the good guy deal anymore. Uh, he uh, he's been, uh, you know, we thought he was steering people in the right way by you know going back and touching them and and giving everybody choices and everything. I think what he's doing is just he's been manipulating everybody. He's been spying on them through the lighthouse, um, and it's you know things said he said to to Hurley to tell Jack you've got what it takes. So he he's just manipulating. And uh, you know, I don't know if uh, if the the fake lock or Smokey lock. I don't know if, if he's good. I think it's. Uh, I, I think uh, I don't. Know. I think they're all rotten. Anyway, that's what I think. See ya. Hey, it's Deborah from North Carolina, and I loved Tuesday night's episode, and wanted to say that uh, I noticed that Jacob's place, I guess, not lair, but his place was the lighthouse. The lighthouse. Whereas Man in Locks is the dark, the dark house, the cave. He led Sawyer to believe that it was Jacob's lair, but I think it was really his. And so once again, light and dark, Jacob, Man in Lock, or Esau, or whoever he is being expressed. All right, thanks for your terrific podcast. Can't wait to uh, hear it next Sunday. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Katie from Austin, Texas. I was just calling about um, tonight's episode of Lost the Lighthouse. And um, 
despite the fact that there wasn't all that much um, mythological uh, development, I love the character development, which is a big deal for me because I really um, I've been tending to dislike Jack a lot lately, but I really enjoyed his um, his uh, sideways reality backstory. Um, first of all. The revelation that he has a son in the backstory was fabulous. Um, uh, I tend to like, I tended to like Kate a lot more when she was a mother on the show because I, um, I started feeling the same way about Kate. I really disliked her character. I thought she was getting really predictable and selfish and horrible. But when she was around Aaron and when she was acting as a mother figure, I liked her character a lot more. I found her a lot more interesting, and I see the same thing happening with Jack is that I really enjoyed his backstory more for the fact that he had a son. Um, I can't wait to hear your thoughts about the show. Um, thanks. Bye-bye. Mahalo for those calls. So Tripp says that Jacob is bad. What do you say? Jacob and the man in black are not good or evil. They are two sides of the same coin. Okay, well, that's 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 sort of the yin and yang, black and white, safe answer. I'm going to sort of, I think <laughs> I'm going to side with Tripp and say Jacob's actually not a good person. Deborah from North Carolina, one of many people who pointed out that, hey, lighthouse, dark cave. Could we? <laughs> could that be any yeah, more clear? Cool. Nice catch there. And Katie from Austin saying that she thought that Jack is usually a weak character like Kate, but he's much more interesting when he has a kid like Kate is. Kate was way more interesting with Aaron. Absolutely. So who do we hear from next? We now hear from Anthony, Patrick, and Megan. Hey, this is uh, Anthony from Chicago. I just wanted to say that that Jack episode last night was so boring. Um, I really don't care about Jack and his son. I guess that's just cool of me. However, the Claire story was amazing. Um, It actually gave me nightmares. I had nightmares all night about it. I don't know what to make of it. Um, I don't know who Claire is now. She seems a lot more insane than Rousseau. But I was totally amazed by that. And they should have concentrated more on her story than on Jack's because I just didn't care. Thanks. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Patrick from uh, Seaside, Oregon, and is just calling in after watching Lighthouse and wanted to say that I've never been more excited to see some light shed on an answer on this show as when we found out what the the numbers were with degrees and how Jacob is is using uh, the numbers as the degrees and focusing in on his search. But... To add to that, I've never been more upset with anybody than when Jack smashed those mirrors because I thought we were going to get so many answers and looking at everyone else's uh, reflection and what they would see. So uh, keep up the good work. I absolutely love it. Talk to you later. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Megan from Virginia. I'm just calling about last night's episode of Lost entitled The Lighthouse. I thought it was a great episode. Um, some people were saying that Jack was a little overdramatic when he saw his name and his house in the lighthouse, but I mean, I react that way too, seeing my name on a mirror in a lighthouse that I've never seen before on the island. It's kind of creepy. Um, I also loved his relationship with his son and how he was a little curious about getting his appendix out. He didn't remember it. And I also liked Claire, um, especially when she said that her friend told her that the others have Aaron. I knew she was talking about Locke, but still, he came to the tent and she was like, that's not John, that's my friend. Totally gave me the creeps. But anyway, I love you guys' podcast. And um, you guys are awesome. Thanks. Bye. 
Thanks for those calls. Hey, you guys are awesome, too. Uh-huh. Anthony in Chicago, unfortunately, bored with this episode. But he thought that, that Claire was scary, and I definitely did. Ah, yeah, stuff of nightmares. Now that he's mentioned it, I'm probably going to have nightmares. And Patrick in Seaside, Oregon, very happy to have found the lighthouse and very upset to have lost the lighthouse. Lost giveth and lost taketh away. That's the show we know and love. And Megan from Virginia said that uh, she agrees with you, basically, that Jack was in character to freak out the way that he did. Yeah. But, you know, when she points out, you know, that uh, she knew that my friend friend was locked that reminds me she broke out you know my father and my friend and she clearly knows she can see through Locke and knows that uh, Locke is is like the smoke monster so who is I mean they're different that is what that says and we do have Christian Shepard's body being out there versus just the form for example of Locke being used so I think that was an important clue next up Eric Matt and Josh hi Ryan and Jen this is Eric from Oakland California uh, a couple things stood out to me. One was uh, Hurley's line that um, Jacob comes and goes when he wants to, kind of like Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think that was really important because there are a lot of parallels between Jacob and Obi-Wan Kenobi, especially in the way that they died. That in the first Star Wars movie, Obi-Wan Kenobi was fighting Darth Vader and then took this kind of meditative pose and basically let Darth Vader kill him. And he had said before he died, if you strike me down now, I'll come back more powerful than you can ever imagine. And I feel that Jacob kind of did that when Ben killed him. Um, And he said to Ben, I just want you to know that you have a choice, or it's your choice, or something like that. And I think that's a really crucial line. I think something about that was what allows Jacob to come back in the way that he's coming back and to influence events. And uh, I thought in this episode, Jack kind of reminded me of Luke Skywalker, a young, angry hero to be uh, slightly immature, but has a good heart and a lot of spunk. So those are my thoughts right now. Uh, I hope that there are more Obi-Wan Kenobi similarities because he's one of my favorite characters of all time. All right. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Matt Anderson calling from Minnesota. Hey, great news. As I watched this last episode, I had an idea that uh, that we may have found out or we may have seen the makings of the new leader of the others. Uh, I know that uh, you guys are big fans of Hurley, and I am as well, and I think that he's become the shadow leader. Uh, if you think back, who are the people that end up being leaders of the others, people that hear from Jacob uh, and... Hurley right now is the only one hearing from Jacob and uh, following his orders. So either Hurley is kind of working into the position of the others, or leader of the others, or possibly um, maybe he'll end up being Jacob's replacement. I don't necessarily think that that would work out, but I could see him being a leader of the others, uh, which also um, even Miles had a line a couple weeks ago that uh, that. Uh, Hurley has moved into a leadership position. He made a joke about that to Saeed. So I think there's a good chance here that uh, we could see more of Hurley bossing around Dogen. Why don't you go back to the courtyard? All right, guys, what do you think about that? Thanks for a great podcast. Take it easy. Bye-bye. Hey, Transmission, this is Josh from Louisville, Kentucky again. Couldn't wait to the ep- end of the episode to call, but um saw a reference with uh, – Miles and Hurley again when they were playing tic-tac-toe reminded me of uh, war games uh, where they teach the computer to uh, the futility of uh, 
binary opposition uh, by teaching it how to play tic-tac-toe. And so when Miles said, shocker, after they tied again, uh, it definitely references, I think, the, uh, the, you know, the Jacob and Loch Ness monster, uh, battle black and white, even going back to the, the pilot. So, uh, Miles and Hurley, especially Hurley, are functioning like a Shakespearean fool in a way that he's a, a truth teller. He has the permission to kind of speak the truth through humor and, uh, uh, just cracked up when he said, uh, uh, Jacob shows up like Obi-Wan Kenobi. So really uh, enjoying uh, some of the threads and kind of lost on others, but uh, that's why I listen to you guys. Thanks. Mahalo for those calls. Eric from Oakland says that there's something to this Obi-Wan Kenobi reference. Well, I think that in death, Obi-Wan Kenobi was more powerful than he was in life. Right. And I think Jacob is is kind of the same. Well, I mean, I think he's more powerful in the sense that he has to be if this big conflict is coming. But on the other yeah. hand, right now, all Jacob has in his in his pocket is Hurley, and he's the only person that can do anything. Well, Hurley him. could be really powerful, too. Well, yes, he's the key to the whole game. Matt Anderson from Minnesota said that uh, he thinks that Hurley could be the new leader, the new uh, Ben or Locke or Widmore on the island. I don't know. I see Hurley more like a person who commu- can communicate well. Somebody like Alpert, who's, who's kind of an advisor and, and and a, and a facilitator. Or I guess maybe what Lennon's been up to for Dogen as well. Yeah. Possibly. possibly. And finally, Josh from Louisville says that the tic-tac-toe, I mean, great pop culture reference there with the war games and, and the how, how the, you can't win that game. Well, tic-tac-toe is really kind of a futile exercise and, and the man in black... Um, you know, right. he mentions futility. Definitely. It's, it's a cycle that never ends. So I like that. Uh, I think we've got time for three more calls. Who's on tap? We hear from Dieter, Mr. Jacob, and Michelle. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Dieter calling again from Spokane, Washington, to uh, comment a little bit on the 108th hour of Lost, The Lighthouse. Uh, kind of wondering who Jacob is talking about when he says who's coming. Initially, I wanted to think Whitmore. I thought Whitmore was bad. Then I was thinking Woodmore and Ben are probably on opposite sides, and I think Ben is bad, so maybe Woodmore is good. I don't know. Could be talking about Dez, but I think Dez is probably still recovering from being shot by Ben. Or maybe he was talking about Jack, just metaphorically coming to the island. Or maybe it was number 108, Wallace, the guy who's crossed out, somebody that we don't even know. Claire, it seems she didn't do the the flash, the time flashing with all of the other losties, so it makes me kind of wonder what caused that. Did the injection that she got uh, result in her not flashing with time? So if everybody else got injected with the uh, cure, would that have caused them not to flash? Kind of an interesting question. Biggest question I have for this episode is the mirrors. How do the mirrors in the lighthouse work? Is it the location of the mirrors? Does it work anywhere on the island? Is it the way the light scatters, like how Daniel Faraday talked about in Season 4? I don't know. Interesting episode for sure. What do you think? Thanks. Aloha, Ryan and Jen. This is Mr. Jacob calling to discuss The Lighthouse, and uh, I thought it was another great episode. Uh, I really liked uh, Insane Clouseau, that's Claire plus Rousseau, and I'm wondering about her relationship with Flock. Uh, you know, if she's so similar to Rousseau, like everyone's saying, then why was Rousseau always so wary of Smokey? But here she seems to fully, you know, acknowledge him, um, even knowing that it's not Locke. Um, here's my theory on who's coming to the island. I think it's Widmore. Uh, since we first met him at the end of season two and all the way through last year, we, we assumed that, you know, he was kind of the big boss of the show. Um, but, you know, he's been entirely missing in action at this point. So 
I think he'll be having to get involved somehow, and uh, maybe it's him that's finally found the island, and that will really set off the war. But, uh, you know, I'm just curious why Jacob would want that. That's just my opinion, and uh, that's it. All right, keep up the great work. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. My name is Michelle. I'm calling from Rockford, Illinois. I wanted to call and share a theory with you that my husband and I have come up with. We were wondering about who it is that Jacob's expecting to arrive at the island, and we've decided that's Desmond. He's Jacob and Elwes' son, of course. He's the one that Jacob's expecting to the island. Remember, Desmond is, quote, special, and the rules don't apply to him, according to Daniel, and the island isn't finished with him, according to Eloise, who's had a special interest in Desmond. Only a grandmother would likely show such nostalgic interest in how Charlie's hair resembles his father's. Desmond is on his way to the island in 2007, and he'll play a key role in the coming war. My husband and I disagree as to which side Desmond will actually end up on. I say he'll be on Jacob's side. My husband says he'll be in the man in black side. Oh, the daddy issues. I'm getting a headache. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for those calls. Dieter from Spokane, a lot of thoughts there. I like his uh, observation about the light scattering differently. You know, yeah. that, that could be the lighthouse at work there. But uh, what? who do you think it, it is that's coming? It could be anybody, obviously. But uh, Desmond, I thought, was a reasonable guess. I'm not convinced anybody is coming, but Desmond's a good guess. Yeah, certainly. Um, but if, then the question is, whose side is he on? Why would he be on Jacob's side and, and such like that? So I can see why you might get a headache like our friend uh, Michelle did. Mr. Jacob, though, thinks that it's Widmore that's coming to the island. I don't Definitely. know. I don't think Jacob would want Widmore to come to the island. That's true. I mean, he doesn't seem like a friendly force, but he's definitely someone who has played up to be a big character that we now have not heard or seen anything from. I definitely like yeah. the nickname Clouseau for Claire and <laughs> Rousseau. And we might actually use that one, Inspector Clouseau. And finally, Michelle from Rockford also believes that it's Desmond and points out a number of reasons why. I mean, he was special. The rules don't apply to him. Yeah. And the island isn't done with him yet. So I definitely a good thought. But uh, actually, Michelle wrote later and said in addition to that theory she realized that Desmond who was on the plane and then kind of vanished he did touch Jack when he shakes hands and that reminds her of Jacob going around to all of these people and touching them in their past so if we do see more Desmond then there's more of that kind of mysterious appearing and disappearing maybe there's a little bit of Jacob going on there well we got a lot more great calls on the lost line we heard from Alex in California Kathy in Pennsylvania Russ from Fort Worth Texas who thought that I was the Olympic curling comment Theater. We've got okay. Reba from San Diego, Nick from Littleton, Colorado, Kelsey in California, and Matt from Kent, Ohio. But unfortunately, I just want to jump straight to some of the written comments. Bart P. writes, I thought it was a great episode. Did it have a huge reveal about some of the mythology? No, but it certainly mm. helped to pull back the curtain on a few things. This episode felt to me like they're putting the pieces in place. It's going to be a slow build until the final episodes are upon us. These past couple episodes also reminded me of the stand where you were seeing people start starting to go to one side or the other. Oh, most definitely we've got recruiting on two sides of this uh, battle. And, uh, of course, The Stand is definitely something that people have drawn yeah, parallels to. My favorite book. And um, it, there's a lot of Stephen King. I mean, Nuck and Futz had a great post at the start of the blog for this episode about how it could be it as well. So mm-hmm. definitely worth a read. Leech Punk writes, All in all, this episode was good. By far one of the best Jack-centric episodes. The line from Hurley about Jack being a great father, then jumping to the flash sideways with him with a kid was a nice joke, but I think there's more to it. 
Also, the score of this episode was great. I loved how when Jack realized the names on the wheel, we heard the music heighten, and then he stated that Jacob had been watching him since he was a child. The music just bombs out there into an oh-crap tone. Great job there. I always like the score. Yeah, Giacchino is fantastic, but I mean, I'm going to say this, and I'm a huge fan of his music. I've been really conscious of the music lately. I'm not sure if that means that it's doing well or they've cranked up the knob, but um, to some extent, I've been finding it being a little too much in terms of someone is saying something dramatic so let's build the music louder and louder but 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 still i mean definitely effective kiara writes i have to be honest i was expecting more from this episode mainly because damon and carlton wrote it i think the pacing was a bit slow it took forever to get to the lighthouse and we didn't spend enough time there i did enjoy the dialogue between jack and hurley in the jungle and i also enjoyed the off-island story it was nice to see jack look happy and able to resolve some issues for a change yeah i mean i I can see how you might think it was slow. I mean, again, I, although I was worried during season five that they were going too fast, so I'm perfectly willing to take a slower pace this season. Brayer Mike writes, I thought this was a great episode and an excellent companion piece to White Rabbit. I loved Hurley and Jack's scenes as they trekked to the lighthouse. Definitely season one vibe again to the whole episode. I'm already expecting people to say it was more filler, but this really was a great episode. I think too many people are just watching for answers now, and the ABC promos are pro- partly to blame for that. But they are missing out on all the things that made Lost great to begin with. Good characters, good storyline, and intriguing mystery. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Gregoire from New York City writes, It's nice to see Emily DeRaven being given something meaty and interesting to do for a change. I feel like we've been subjected to seasons of her neediness and that shrill accent for the sole purpose of seeing it turned on its head. This actress must be thrilled to be doing something violent. Charlie who? <laughs> good point. And yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, less cute and and. and funny and much more complex and and creepy uh we got a fun um, email from simon in ireland who actually said holy freaking cute she can axe me out anytime <laughs> so i guess creepy claire clouseau has a lot of fans out there jen from new jersey says love the episode i noticed that dogan asks jack if austin kwan and ford will be coming back maybe this points to the fact that the kwan on the list is Jin and not sun yeah absolutely well i don't know i mean I, he only knows kwan because they had they, they only introduced themselves when they arrived at the oh, temple yeah. so that could be it as well mindy writes the scene with hurley and jack at the lighthouse reminded me of when Locke and ben went to jacob's cabin for the first time Locke and Jack both demanded to see Jacob, but Hurley and Ben said it doesn't work that way and he just shows up when he wants to. Then fits of rage happen inside. In this instance, it was Jack destroying the mirrors, which is slightly different than so-called Jacob's tantrum in the cabin because of Locke's flashlight. But still, that's right where my mind went when I watched the scene unfold biggest difference is that jack went willingly also the fact that they haven't seen the lighthouse before reminds me of the cabin mysteriously appearing and disappearing actually that's kind of a great com- com- actually that's kind of a great comment there i mean maybe that's one way to explain why they hadn't seen it before and if yeah. the, if the cabin is actually man in black's dark and you know creepy cabin then sure maybe jacob's lair moves around as well so uh, a great comparison and tied there DeJarno writes after this episode i'm more convinced than ever that jacob is evil i've had that feeling since season five sure the man in black is a big smoking ball of seething anger but at least that anger is a relatable human emotion we've even seen a few glimpses of happiness and fear from him but jacob is cold and impassive Michael Giacchino seems to have realized this and made Jacob's theme one of the most haunting on the show. I know he's got Hurley wrapped around his finger for now, but I'm confident Hurley will wise up and ultimately be Jacob's undoing. 
I wonder if ghosts can feel the righteous pang of a Dharma van to the sternum. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I like Jacob as a character and hope to see more of him. But is he some sort of island messiah? No way. You got some ink on your forehead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, what is that? Where is this guy? What, what does he think? <laughs> Laura writes, the name of the person who left a message for David is Dr. Summerland. Summerland is also a fantasy novel about young children who save the world from destruction by playing baseball. Mm. According to Wikipedia, the book is often touted as a Native American version of the Chronicles of Narnia. It goes on to say that Summerland involves a world series, a parallel universe road trip, and a hero's odyssey. There are just too many things here in common with Lost for this to be coincidence. I have the book because I bought it for my fantasy and baseball loving son. The jacket says small beings known as ferishers are threatened by an ancient enemy and need a hero to vanquish their foe. They recruit someone named Ethan, possibly the worst ball player in the history of the league, as their chosen leader. No one is more surprised than Ethan at their choice, but their faith spurs them on. I, I like a lot of those parallels. And of course, and we baseball. Know, there was a baseball like a couple episodes that's ago. That's true. And also we know Jack is a terrible football player, so maybe <laughs> that's what's going on there as well. Susan writes, I think that maybe the mysteries of the island are intertwined with the Shepherd family. So far we've seen Jack, Christian, Ray, Claire, Aaron, and now David. It looks like Jack is now the leading candidate, and when and Jacob says that Jack has something that he has to do. Perhaps he means that Jack must kill his father, Christian, who is present, at least in some form, on the island. Remember that both Ben and Locke were supposed to kill their fathers before they became leaders. True. I kind of like that a lot. Aaron writes, last episode, we saw a drunk Sawyer in dirty clothes. This episode opens with a shirtless Jack. Are the powers that be trying to sway our female audience over to Jack or just pointing out that there are very different kinds of men? I'm not being entirely serious here, but we have been constantly reminded of the differences between Sawyer and Jack. We've seen this culminate in arguments and fistfights on a few occasions, and I would bet we've not seen the last of it. A long conflict between the two men of opposing characteristics? Remind you of any Thing? I mean, definitely a lot of people are starting to see that Jack might be one half of the new, you know, the new pair of yeah. uh, opposing forces. So, yeah, Jack and Sire could work for me. Mike B. in Michigan says, One of the recurring themes of Lost is someone's coming. It's been present since season one in one form or another, and it's back in season six. We know someone's coming, but we're not sure exactly who. My initial thought was Desmond and Penny, but while re-re-re-watching the first five seasons, I had a thought. What if the someone is, in fact, the Losties in the Flash Sideways? We know that there's a war coming. What's to say the sides might be the original Losties versus the Flash Sideways Losties? The implications boggle my mind. Well, the two canoes thing i mean that would point that could fit yeah that would be great i'm just saying though if you're going to try to fill no that just i don't want to see twins and actors playing good and bad versions of themselves beating each other up but well i kind of don't either no, but a creative thought Brendan writes, if the lighthouse was used to spy on the possible candidates and maybe even used by Jacob to be transported to them, it would seem that it isn't needed anymore since Jack broke the mirrors and Jacob didn't mind. It probably wasn't ever meant to guide someone to the island as Jacob told Hurley it was. So Wallace may never have been coming to the island, especially since the name is already crossed off. Actually, that's a good point. We didn't mention that it was crossed off. I mean, yeah. you got the 108 and it seems important, but all the other names that had 
had come together and gotten crossed off, things didn't turn out well for them, or basically they're not the candidates that he wanted. So right. I think some people had made a case that Wallace could be Desmond because um, you know of the Scottish thing, Wallace being a Scottish name. Yeah, so. well, Wallace William Wallace was a folk hero in Scotland. He fought against Britain. Um, he was the, the subject of the movie Braveheart. Right, right. So I mean, that, that, that there could be something to that there, but the fact that it was crossed out and the fact that it's okay that the mirrors were broken, I kind of like the theory that you know it was this is the end game this is mm-hmm. the it only ends once part and so that we're seeing that we're running out of candidates that we're running out of names and so the lighthouse is just not important anymore uh-huh. um, finally on that I guess we'll close with J.W. Rollins who asks could the lighthouse belong to Jacob's nemesis did Jacob send Jack there to thwart his nemesis from using it to get off the island hmm. that's actually I mean again so Brendan said that maybe the 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 lighthouse is the way off now and it was how he was visiting yeah. these people so maybe he was using Jack to go there to destroy it to stop that from happening that, so. very manipulative if that's the case yeah that's definitely an interesting theory but uh, as always we enjoyed every thought that you shared with us even though we could only include some of it in this podcast we're well into our hour so we can't include it all we got over 300 comments on the blog alone and I definitely encourage you to check that out if you want to continue the conversation our favorite part of the podcast is you all everybody and so we need your feedback don't forget to join the conversation after the next new episode you can post it on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost email us at lost at hawaiiup.com or call and leave a message on the lost line now remember though for this week and next the good news is that our podcast is going to come out early but the bad news is that it's going to be our initial reactions only we will be recording but they're going to be shortwave transmissions that we're going to do just after the episode episode airs because I'll be jumping on a plane later this week. Now, I'll be coming back in time to catch Lost at Home with Jen again, but then I'm (laughs) going to be jumping on another plane next week to go to South by Southwest. Those next two podcasts will be very short and sweet and most likely incomplete since we won't have the several days we usually take to ponder and study the episodes, which is all the more reason that you should go join the conversation over at the blog. We'll both be following the threads over there and Mm -hmm. Definitely marveling at how smart all of you are. Absolutely. Now, time willing, I might actually tack some calls from the Lost line to these next podcasts. So if you do watch Lost in the Eastern or Central time zone, you can share your thoughts very quickly. And uh, the blog is where you can then share your full thesis with everybody. Thanks in advance for understanding for this weird twist. And trust me, I know that I have to go back to the island. (laughs) Coming up in about three minutes, we'll have the forward cabin. But first, once again, a musical treat from the other's lost band. This is the latest track based on last week's episode entitled The Substitute. John, your wedding's in October. Help Helen pick out the color scheme. You met Jack Shepard at the airport. He specializes in spinal surgery. Shotgun style in Vegas Maybe this is all destiny Back from Sydney you work at the box company Miss the conference your boss is mad at you Call it vacation your fire and nations Hugo says is a bit of a douche Hurley owns the company He'll get you a job with this camp agency So go out and recruit Cause you're a substitute For 
I'm sorry I punched you in the throat I want you to come with me I never would have kept you in the dark like Jacob did I'll tell you everything The second chances are seldom The kids said you know the rules But don't ever tell me what I can't do Hello James, John, I thought you were dead I am, I'm the ghost of Christmas past All I care about is whiskey and you ain't scared I'll go with you, need to put on some pants Richard says that John is gonna kill me Of mice and men, I am George and he is Lenny And he's trying to recruit I'm a teacher too, but I'm a substitute. And there are choices you have three. And do nothing, be new Jacob, or go home with me. That was the substitute from the Others Lost Band, the great band based out in Boston. They write a song based on every episode of Lost. You can find out more, hear more music, or even subscribe to Transmissions from the Others by visiting their website at theothers.thethungs.com. And I will have the link to that in the show notes on our blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. And we want to thank that band once again for letting us share their music on our show. So now it's time to turn our gaze forward and next up is episode six of season six it's titled sundown the synopsis reads saeed is faced with a difficult decision and claire sends a warning to the temple inhabitants and sundown i mean i think that sounds like a counterpart to house of the rising sun which was the counterpart from season one it also kind of sounds like lockdown actually true it kind of sounds like a combination of those as well so with that out of the way it's time to get to our filming reports now this is the last forward cabin for a few weeks because our next two podcasts will be initial reactions only so i figured that you'd want an extra hearty serving to tide you over so this time i'm going to tap into some call sheets now these are basically production outlines but they're obviously more detailed than filming reports where fans just describe what they see and usually even when you can watch them film the scenes could be anything without context or dialogue but i do want to give you a strong warning this week that if you're on a light diet of spoilers you might want to skip this stuff. i wish i could skip this stuff. yes 
Jen's not a fan of spoilers. If you ever wondered what it's like, she basically sits right next to me but tries to ignore me. But I obviously like most spoilers, especially when they make no sense and they give you something to chew on and get confused about. But I definitely understand why many don't like spoilers. And of course, please don't spoil people who don't want to be spoiled. That's just uncool. But with that said, let's dive in. Now, this upcoming episode is episode 606. So we'll start with that call sheet. It came to us courtesy Chris. Now, this episode was filmed in January on the island. The action takes place at the temple in the scenes described. Claire enters the temple courtyard, which is obviously cause for some panic. And perhaps more shockingly, Saeed slits Lennon's throat. So unfortunately, Lennon's not long for this world. Kate and Miles run as the smoke monster attacks. And in this in the notes, it says after they split up, Smokey, quote, rams guy into pillar so um, that's basically Smokey's modus operandi when it comes to disposing of people now also on that call sheet there were scenes for episode 613 the last recruit and uh, in those scenes basically at Locke's camp Jack and Locke catch up so I guess they have some important conversations Sawyer tells Jack his plan and I'm curious what his plan might be and finally while trekking through the jungle with Locke's group Jack asks Claire if she trusts Locke and Locke asks Son if she saw Saeed and as a result of that conversation Locke runs off to go looking for Saeed and when he does find him Saeed tells Locke that he shot Desmond Desmond. Wow. So, I mean, I'm not even sure if I've remembered reporting that Desmond was on the island, but I guess he's on the island, and I guess Saeed is being an assassin. But in any case, some mind-blowing stuff. We also get some context, fortunately, from this call sheet from the off-island scene that we reported on last month that was filmed downtown. As you may recall, we saw Jack and uh, David, his son there, Claire and Desmond as well, but we didn't know how they fit together. Well, apparently, Claire is there on her way to the adoption agency, and she runs into Desmond in the lobby, and he convinces her to see a lawyer. The two of them ride up in an elevator, and meanwhile, Jack and David arrive for the reading of Christian's will when Jack gets a call from his ex-wife. Now, obviously, a lawyer is going to be one place where these characters kind of converge, and as we had discussed in the earlier part of the show, Desmond does seem to be kind of turning up in a Jacob-like way and giving advice and pointing our characters in a certain direction, but that's just theory. That's, 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 that's actually not known. Now, Moving on to the filming reports, and I want to say right off that these are all due to some fantastic fans. They're all much braver than I am, somewhat more convincing than I am, and certainly don't have to stay at a desk job all day. And I really appreciate them um, reporting in so I can share these filming reports with you. Now, a lot of action this week was taking place at the Hawaii Film Studio on Diamond Head, and usually that's not easily observed. So apart from some actors that were spotted moving about, there was little to report at first. Now, thanks to Chris and Francie, who who've basically been dropping by almost daily. I can say that uh, Chris saw Jack, Sawyer, Kate, and Ben on Monday, and they seem to be filming in what looked like the interior of a submarine actually built out on the lot. Francie went by later in the week and actually saw that they had since hung tarps on the fence to block the view from the street, but she also saw Jack, Sawyer, Jin, and Son, and she said that all of them were wet, so the sea must involve some kind of water. Now, Lost also filmed out near Kualoa, actually a bit north of there, closer to Ka'a'a, 
lava and it was a major set deep in the jungle now chris actually took the locations tour out there to see if he could get closer but apart from seeing some trucks and production gear they were definitely way out of sight and they were there for a couple of days but another fan visiting from germany sandro had an incredible stroke of luck she got her hands on the call sheet for that day which was for episode 615 titled across the sea so get ready now action in this scene surrounds a primitive village with huts and thatched roofs and campfires and a boar roasting on a spit but more significantly the scene takes place in 23 ad 23 23 so also one of the numbers but way way back in time and in this scene we meet the boy in black so yes i guess that's the young man in black and a woman named claudia and she shows him the village and tells him that she's his mother now in another scene a character that's identified only as mother but not claudia tells young jacob young jacob that she killed their mother so I don't even know what to say about that. Now, the next scene takes place in 43 AD. And in that scene, an adult Jacob is sent by mother to go and get some firewood, only to return to see that his village has been burned to the ground. Mm. It's actually a very gruesome scene with charred bodies and body parts. And I think that might be where the bloody hands on the boy might have come from. Now, I the casting information is particularly interesting. Now, for one, it lists Kenton Duty, who played the mysterious boy in the jungle that we met earlier in the season. We knew that he was the actor, but his character is listed as young Jacob. So if you were theorizing on who that might be, that's who he was. The boy in black, meanwhile, is played by Ryan Bradford. Now, he's also been a child actor. His last major credit was as a kid on The Bold and The Beautiful, but now he's got a pretty significant role on Lost. Claudia, who I mentioned, uh, says that uh, she's his mother, is played by Leela Lauren. Um, I didn't know her, but uh, IMDb says that you may know her from Chuck, NCIS, or The Shield. And finally, Mother, who I guess uh, killed Jacob's mother when he was a kid and sends him away so he's safe. Basically, Mother is played by Allison Janney. No way. Allison Janney. I she love her. Awesome. Yes, from West Wing and from all over the place. She's even in Phineas and Ferb, for crying out loud. My kids love Allison Janney. Uh, it's, it seems like a huge get for the show, if that's true, but um, I'm absolutely thrilled. Uh, so that was the call sheet for Wednesday. Now, Thursday, they filmed on the shore near Police Beach, but interestingly, they cordoned off a huge swath of sand, which they had meticulously prepped so that there were no footprints on the sand. So Sandro was there again, and another visiting fan from Oklahoma named Kyra. And uh, yeah, you know, they were initially disappointed to find that the scene didn't involve any of the main cast that they wanted to see, but Thanks to uh, someone else on the set, they did find out that it was a key scene. Now, basically, they saw someone in a white shirt and someone in a black shirt sitting on a log facing the ocean and talking. And the scene, it did seem, was taking place in 23 AD, and the two characters were probably young Jacob and young man in black. Now, Chris, who also went by, says that he saw a scene with young Jacob and his mother, Either way, in both cases, they were very long scenes with multiple takes and clearly a lot of dialogue, so I can only imagine that there's a lot we're going to learn in episode 15. Now, meanwhile, that same day in town, local fan Steve ran into them at a small market on Campbell Avenue on Diamond Head, and it's called Stop and Shop. It looked like a really quick shoot, and it only involved Hurley's stand-in, but basically it looks like they're filming Hurley crossing a street and reaching down to pick up a ticket 
off the ground. And that's all they filmed, but it seemed to Steve that it might be depicting how Hurley in The Flash Sideways may have been so lucky as to find his lottery tickets. Hmm. That was interesting. Now, finally, up at the hill at the Hawaii Film Studio, there were more wet actors on the lot, but also a lot of action on a soundstage. It looked like a Hurley scene off-island involving a bunch of young kids or actually it might have just been a tour or a photo shoot of the studio, but I, I doubt that. Now, moving on finally to Friday, that's yesterday, they were at Manoa Falls once again. And once again, Chris, Francie, and Sandro, our intrepid reporters, headed up there to see what they could see. The answer, unfortunately, was not very much. They set up uh, down near where the cages were um, that you saw the exterior of the Hydra, but we're not sure if that was the exact set. I think it was the cages because they were kind of dressed in, 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 in plants and such. But in any case, they set up a rain machine and the actors there, the characters there were uh, Jack, Hurley, Kate, Sawyer, Jin, Claire, Sun, and Lapidus. So a lot more of our characters are spending a lot more time together. I think that's encouraging. Um, more interestingly, though, they were filming way, way past midnight at the Diamond Head stage, and it was only Chris that decided to stick around to see what was going on. And quite a bit, it turns out. They created a forest uh, jungle kind of area out on the studio lot, and they brought in some smoke machines and, of course, lights, and it basically looked like an eerie, dark night forest scene. And because of the tarps, because of the security, Chris couldn't see anything. But fortunately, he heard a lot of dialogue. And the dialogue takes place between two young kids. Basically, the lines were, Jacob, what are you doing? And then he shouts or there's a yell like they're fighting or there's an attack. Um, I'm going with them, the other people. I want to go home to my mother. She's not even our real mother. You don't trust me, but one day you'll believe me. Now, no idea, of course, which character was saying which line and who's got the upper hand if there's a fight and, and really what's going on, but certainly a lot of tantalizing dialogue in what looks like a flashback to Jacob and the man in black as young kids. So that is a lot of stuff to process. I'm sure I hope that gives you a lot to chew on for the next couple of weeks. There was, of course, supposed to be filming today, but it was perhaps obviously canceled due to the tsunami mm -hmm. warning. Um, but fortunately, again, the island has not sunk, so production will continue once again on Monday. So that's it for the filming reports. And thanks one last time to our intrepid visiting fans. Probably the most amazing set that's come through who've been almost frighteningly effective in gathering information and those uh, really, really tantalizing call sheets. But that means that's it for this episode of The Transmission. This show is powered by you all everybody so please be sure to join the conversation on our blog after the episode airs Tuesday night it's thriving it's interesting you'll love it please comment there and share your thoughts with everyone or you can send us an email or you can call the last line now as always we appreciate the reviews on iTunes and actually we haven't thanked our iTunes reviewers lately so we've got quite a list I want to say mahalo to Aunt Jean Arched on You The Apple Cake Bad Guitar Ben is the Best Blue Dog 1121 an old friend Chrissy from California Dawn 989 Phoenix Solis Gretchen K Just B LNW Lord Blackfire and Luke in Mill Valley Also Marion Colorado My Masta OBX Boy Old Folkster 
Onrix 2, Rhonda from San Jose, Remy and Clubby, Shut Up Tim, Spokane Flan, 6910, Ted, 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 Totally Addicted 05, Vox Robotica, and Yark. Hmm. Thanks again. <laughs> I love the names that everyone picks for their uh, handles on iTunes. We do appreciate the positive reviews, and of course, they help other people discover the transmission. I also wanted to say hi to my friend Bernard in LA. Bernard wanted to point out that on the season premiere of the Cleveland show, they managed to sneak in the numbers. You got a glimpse of the numbers. He just wrote in to me at Facebook to point that out. Yep, so uh, he may or may not have had something to do with that nice Easter egg. Now, we're always available for some talk story on Twitter. You can find me at Hawaii and Jen is at Mrs. Hawaii. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jen Ozawa. And I'm facebook.com slash Ozawa. We'd love to be your friend. Just let us know that you found us via the transmission. We'll be back on Wednesday with our initial reactions and maybe a few lost line calls, but then we'll see you on the blog for the deeper analysis over the rest of the week. Talk to you soon, folks. Stay lost. Aloha. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com.